Our passage we're looking at this morning, it's in, the, in your bulletin, it'll be on the screen behind me. It comes from John chapter 21, and we'll start in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the word of the Lord. So our passage this morning comes at the end of John. These are the last few verses in the book of John. Jesus has been resurrected and he has reappeared to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. The somewhat famous passage of Scripture where Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me, immediately preceded this passage. And so this is just on the heels of that. And in these six verses, we can actually learn a lot about the seasons of life that we find ourselves in. We can see how we typically respond to them, and then we can see how to navigate and how to embrace the seasons that we are in, even if they're really difficult. And I know that some of yours are just that. So let's consider first the seasons that Jesus calls us to. And you see this in the first few verses that we look at when Jesus said to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, you used to go wherever you want. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hand, someone will dress you and carry you to a place you do not want to go. And so Jesus is talking about past, present, and future, different stages in Peter's life that Peter has had seasons of abundance and independence. But at some time, he's going to have seasons of trials and suffering. And this is true for all of us. And this is something that we alluded to a few weeks ago in a passage that we looked at from Ecclesiastes 3, where we are told, for everything there is a season. Not some things, but for everything there is a season. A time for every matter under heaven. And so then the author goes on to list a lot of these different seasons that we're going to encounter. He says there's a time for life, there's a time for death, there's a time to plant, there's a time to uproot, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to weep, a time to laugh, and he goes on and on. Now really, if we think about it, this isn't earth-shattering for us because we experience these very things at any given time. Joy, sorrow, pain, dancing, Maybe even in our quiet time, some of these things came to mind. Maybe you thought, well, I'm the, I'm the happiest I've ever been. And maybe that's because you've had a new birth come into your life or a new relationship. Or maybe you're currently devastated by death's effects. You may be flourishing in your career or you may be facing the pain of hearing no too many times. Because remember, as we heard from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes for everything, there is a season, all of it. 
for every matter under heaven. And so what that means at different times in our lives, we are going to experience every single one of these seasons, all of them, joy, pain, laughter, mourning, life, and death. We face all of those here while we're here on earth. But the question is why? Why do we experience these different seasons and what's the purpose of them? And the author of Ecclesiastes tells us in verse 14 where he says, I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. So all of these seasons are guaranteed. We experience them all so that we would be in awe of God. Or as Jesus told Peter back in the John passage, to glorify God. And we think, well, that's good. But then we think, but that's not so good. Because we don't really care for the seasons. And we know this because anytime we're experiencing a hard season in our life, we don't like it and we fight against it. And the reason is because we want to be in control. We want to control our lives. We want to control our emotions. We want to control people. We want to control our circumstances. Because think about it this way. Think about how we navigate seasons in our life weather-wise. You know, in the summer, if it's hot, we crank up the air conditioning. In the winter, we turn on the heat or we build a fire. When, we, when it's raining like it is today, we usually stay in our comfortable homes or our offices, or if you like me, you go to Whole Foods where there's a parking deck to hold all of your meetings so you don't actually have to go out into the rain. Even with technology like Zoom, we can still do work and school in a blizzard or a global pandemic. I was even telling some of the pastors earlier this week that every year, early in the year, I suffer with seasonal affective disorder. I get really sad in January and February, and I can get a little grumpy. Well, my sister-in-law just bought this infrared sauna, and so I can go sit in that sucker for 30 minutes, and I can get all the vitamin D I need, and I'm no longer grumpy. And so we can kind of blow through whatever season that we're in. We can control our comfort level of what we're experiencing, but we can't do that with our seasons in life. We can't do that with our hearts. We can't do that with our minds, but wouldn't we like to, and don't we try to? As Chuck DeGroat, I mentioned him earlier, he spoke on our men's retreat, and he asked the guys last year, do you know why you're exhausted? And he said, it's because you think you're in control, but you're not. And don't we know that to be true? Didn't we learn that during COVID, but we still struggle. We try to maintain control, but we can't. I was thinking this week about my friend and one of our church members, Brett Boner, who almost two years ago was driving to pick up his son Henry from soccer practice on a beautiful spring afternoon. He had a sunroof open. I believe he was listening to Jimmy Buffett, I think. And he was just minding his business, driving down the road, and a branch broke off a tree, came through the windshield, punctured his shoulder, tearing his pectoral, and narrowly missing an artery. And for two years, Brett's season has been surgeries, hospital, pain, and recovery. Control is an illusion. And so this brings us to our next point, and it's, we're going to look at how we typically respond to all these seasons that we go through in life. When we're confronted with life-changing situations, we actually do the same thing that Peter did in John 21. Look again at verse 20. 
Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So when we are confronted with changing seasons in our life, whether good or bad, our typical response is to simply take our eyes off Jesus and look to other things. Or in Peter's case, look to other people. And it can be in seasons of plenty or in want. We are constantly playing the comparison game. Think about it this way. If we are experiencing times of flourishing in our lives, it's natural for us to think, well, I must be doing something pretty good. That you're working smarter than your competitors or your coworkers, or that you're parenting your children in the right way or that you're doing enough of the correct spiritual activity to obligate God to bless you or at least you're doing better than all of your other friends. And I know for me, when things are going well or I'm experiencing certain success in areas, I will think about people in my past who hurt me. Maybe someone who was a jerk to me in high school. You know, maybe a coach that made me feel like I wasn't enough or maybe a former boss or a coworker who made me feel insignificant. This week, I was thinking about Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame acceptance speech and arguably the best basketball player of all time on the crowning night of his career gave a speech and many of the NBA beat writers said it was simply petty. He fired back at anybody who ever slighted him or made him feel less than. At one point in his speech, he addressed his former high school basketball coach as well as the kid that beat Michael Jordan out for the last spot on the basketball team who Michael Jordan flew to the Hall of Fame acceptance speech. And this is what he said. And then there's Leroy Smith. Now you guys think that's a myth. Leroy Smith was a guy, when I got cut, he made the team on the varsity team, and he's here tonight. He's still the six, same six foot seven inch guy. He's not any bigger. Probably his game is about the same. But he started the whole process with me. Because when he made the team, and I didn't, I wanted to prove not just to Leroy Smith, not just to myself, but to the coach that picked Leroy over me, I wanted to make sure you understand you made a mistake, dude. Now, obviously, that is a very public example. But as I mentioned, it's something that we all do. We are especially susceptible to playing the comparison game when things aren't going well when we're in tough seasons of life. I remember a few years ago, Kelly and I were in a tough season, and it was when that show, Fixer Upper, became popular. And Kelly and I would watch it just about every week, and I finally got to the point where I couldn't watch it anymore because I felt like such a loser. You know, because they both had these really cool, fulfilling jobs that they obviously enjoyed very much. Their marriage seemed to be perfect. Their house was always clean. Their cars were super nice. Their kids always got along. And when their four kids came to whatever job site that Chip and Joanna were working on, they were always so happy to see him. And then when Chip would take the kids and leave, he would just gush on JoJo and say, I'm going to miss you so bad for the next two hours that I'm not going to see you. And so I would watch that and it would crush me. I'd be like, I'm nothing like that. That is not like my life. And so I had to quit watching it. So let me ask you this. Doesn't social media do the exact same thing to us? 
that we look at social media and we think, well, people take better, better vacations than I do. Their marriages are better than mine. They love their job more than I do. They have better style than I have. Or maybe you look at it and you say, well, all my friends are married, but I'm not. Or the people say they love life with their crazy kids and they wouldn't have it any other way, but you are childless or divorced. It can crush you. And it does every day. But this is what we do in any season of life, whether it's great or particularly hard. Our default is to turn our gaze away from Jesus, to take our eyes off him. And we know that in doing this, it just doesn't work. It doesn't keep us present in the moment. It doesn't even really keep us present with ourselves because we're thinking about everybody else. And it especially doesn't keep us present with God. So how do we do it? When we come into these seasons of life, how do we navigate them? How do we embrace these rhythms and seasons? And so for our last point, I'm going to do something they may, that may actually drive some of you crazy, especially you educators. I'm going to switch the metaphor. Instead of talking about seasons of life, I want us to consider where we are as chapters in a story that is our lives. And the reason I want to do this is because I believe that as we do, it will actually help us to better navigate and embrace our seasons, our chapters. It gives us the perspective to navigate them in the way that we're intended to. Because as Dr. Dan Allender writes in his book, To Be Told, you are a story. You are not merely the possessor and teller of a number of stories. You are a well-written, intentional story that is authored by the greatest writer of all time. And even before time and after time, the weight of those words, if you believe them, even for brief snippets of time, can change the trajectory of your life. And so keeping that in mind, keeping in mind that our places in life are chapters as a part of a story of our grand lives, let's now consider and read verse 22. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So how do we truly embrace the chapter of our life that we are in currently? Or let me ask you this, how do we endure the chapters of our lives that are heartbreaking, the difficult chapters in the stories of our lives? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to realize that we are not the ones writing the story. Jesus alludes to this very thing when he says to Peter, if it is my will that he remains until I come. What is that to you? We have to remember that whatever we're going through, Jesus has willed it to happen. No matter where you are, it is his will that you are there right now. What you are going through right now isn't your whole story. It is a chapter in a story that is being written by the greatest author of all time. So even when we don't understand what we're going through, even when we're utterly confused or even when we're devastated, we can know that the author of our lives, Jesus Christ, knows exactly what we're going through. He has willed it to happen. He's in complete control even when we don't understand what's happening. He's got the whole wide world 
in his hands. So I'm not a big fan, actually, of the Lord of the Rings. As a Presbyterian pastor, I don't know that I'm allowed to say that, but I'm just not smart enough um, to be. But there's a great interaction between the hobbits, Sam and Frodo, that really captures this very dynamic from the Fellowship of the Ring. And so Sam says, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder, replied Frodo, but I don't know. And that's the way of a real tale. Take any, of the one, take any one that you're fond of. You may know or guess what kind of tale it is, happy ending or sad ending, but the people in it don't know, and you don't want them to. As Tolkien so masterfully points out through Frodo, the people in the story don't know what type of tale it is. They may be able to make a guess, but only the author ultimately knows the outcome. And so we need to understand that the chapter that we are in right now is an important detail to our story that is written by absolutely the greatest author of life and faith. The next thing that we need to do is that we need to get our eyes off other people and other things, and we need to get them back to Jesus. I was reminded of a story from Matthew 14 where the disciples are out on a boat and Jesus one of his famous kind of walking on water stories, and he's walking on water out to them. And Peter sees him and says, hey, will you command me to come out to you? And Jesus invites him to come, and he does it. Peter actually walks on water as he's looking at Jesus. But then he gets distracted, and he notices the wind, and he notices the waves, and he begins to drown. And so Jesus reaches down into the water and pulls him out and said, if you just would have had faith in me, this never would have happened. And so practically what that means for us is we need to get our eyes off the things that we tend to affix them to in the different chapters of our lives. Instead of being angry against everyone who said you were going to be nothing, that you want to prove them wrong and show them your success and your happiness, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and realize that every good and perfect gift comes from above and humbly thank him for how he has blessed you. Admit your desire to take credit for your achievement and accomplishment and repent of that. Turn from that and then thank him for the undeserved gifts in your life. But at the same time, If you feel like you are drowning, look to Jesus. Reach out to Jesus. He's the only one that can pull us out of the water. And recognize that though things in life seem like they are out of control to you, it isn't to him. Because I will tell you, and I have to remind remind myself of this all the time, if things seem out of control, that is only my perception. That is not the reality. This hard chapter in the story of your life, it is hard, but the end can be beautiful and glorious. Allender went on to wrote on this where he said, God is not merely the creator of our life, he is also the author of our life. And he writes each person's life to reveal his divine story. There never has been nor ever will be another life like mine or like yours, just as there is only one face and name like mine, So there is only one story like mine. And God writes the story of my life to make something known about himself, the one who wrote it. The same is true of you. Your life and mine not only reveal who we are, but they also help reveal who God is. 
And then the last thing we need to do is simply we need to follow him. And that's as hard as it is simple and as simple as it is hard because what that means is that we need to accept the story that he's writing. We need to accept his will for our lives, that he is writing our story for our good and the good of the Father, even if our hearts are breaking. Following Jesus means to say to him, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you are good. And so I trust you in what you're doing. But here's the question. How do we know he's good? And how do we know we can trust him? Why on earth, earth should we submit our will to his? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the darkest night of his soul, and in the worst chapter of Jesus' life, this is the prayer that he prayed. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in complete and humble obedience to God the Father. He was the only person on earth to completely submit to the will of God. God had already said, this is my son whom I, whom I am well pleased. And in the worst moment in Jesus' life, he prayed, Daddy, Papa, Father, you can do whatever you want. You can do this in any way you choose. Please choose something else. But then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. I will do whatever you say. And in doing what his heavenly father said and submitting to the will of God, he was absolutely torn to shreds. As Sally Lloyd-Jones pointed out, God was going to pour into Jesus' Jesus's heart all the sadness and brokenness in people's hearts. He was going to pour into Jesus' body all the sickness in people's bodies. God was going to have to blame his son for everything that had gone wrong. It would crush Jesus. And as he was crushed, as he was dying on the cross for your sin and for my sin, he wrote the greatest possible ending to the story of your life when right before he died, he said, it is finished. He finished the story. That's the end to your story. Not what you're going through right now, no matter how good or how bad. He completed the book. And so that you can know whatever chapter of life you are in, even if it's terrible, it's not the final chapter. It won't always be like this. If you follow Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, that he is in control, and then if you submit even in your heartbreak, what is the end? What is the final chapter? Well, let's let Jesus himself tell us. From Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the, th- to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without repayment to the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, and I will be her God, and she will be my daughter. Allowing this great end to our story to be the lens that we view every single chapter that we are in is what will ultimately lead us, as the author of Ecclesiastes said, to be in awe of God. Let me pray for us. Father, you, um, you've, you've completed the story. It's written. It's finished. We know what the end is. It's inevitable. It's going to be glory. It's going to be peace. It's going to be healing. There's not going to be crying anymore. There's not going to be death anymore. There's not going to be pain. There's not going to be comp- competition against our friends and our neighbors and our brothers. There's not going to be envy. There's not going to be strife. There's not going to be anger. There's not going to be jealousy. Everything is going to be perfectly healed. And so no matter where we are in this life, whether we're in abundance or if our hearts are breaking, please help us to have the perspective that everything can and will change. It will not be like this forever. That you are making all things new. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in that newness of life. In your name I pray.